It's a wonderful privilege to be standing up here again this morning to be able to share the Word of God with you. I'm excited. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm so challenged when we realize that God has an agenda that's way beyond our own, and He puts it into place despite us. And even just this morning, just hearing some of the words that were brought so in line with what God has been placing on my heart, and I know that Paul and I know that Bonnie didn't know what I was sharing on this morning, but I want to ask, church, this morning, tune out to what's around you. What I want to, and what I trust God has given me this morning is not a corporate message, it's a personal message. I love the fact that our God loves to meet us on a personal level. Isn't that amazing? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not always the most secure chap, uh, and if I look around, there's so many of you that are way more talented way more gifted, have greater uh, exploits, done greater exploits, have whatever. And if I tune my life into what your life looks like, I'm going to miss the purposes of God for my life. And so this morning I'm asked, tune out around everything else. Tune into what God has for your life this morning. I believe God has an incredible plan for us as a corporate body, but as I'm going to be hopefully and trusting by the Spirit of God this morning, showing you that it doesn't start corporately, it starts personally. So the message that I've, I've got is a simple message this morning. If you're looking for a title, I'd like to say this, a city on God's heart requires men and women after God's own heart. City on God's heart requires men and women after God's own heart. I'm going to declare a statement, and I'm going to declare it a couple of times this morning. God loves Nanaimo. Can I hear an amen? God loves Nanaimo, folk. He loves the city. When one does a study of history through the ages, I don't know if you've ever done this, and I'm talking outside of natural occurring events here, any event where man is involved, greater than the actual event itself, greater than the signing of the document, greater than the historical breakthrough, whether it was a scientific or a chemical, whatever it was, breakthrough, greater than the actual breakthrough itself is the person behind the breakthrough. Have you noticed that? Uh, let's, let's do a little bit of a history quiz here. Let's see who's on the ball this morning. But if I were to say to you, who comes to mind when I say Declaration of Independence, 1776 in the United States? Oh, well done. Thomas Jefferson. If I say, who comes to mind when I say civil rights movement in America, passionate but nonviolent protests help to raise awareness of racial inequalities in America? Martin Luther King Jr. When I say, who comes to mind when I say was seen to be the principal cause of the Second World War in which over 70 million people died, over 6 million Jewish people died in various concentration and extermination camps, Hitler. Now, not one of us went, well, it was the Republican Party who was what Jefferson was part of in the days when the Declaration of Dependence was signed. Independence was signed. Not one of us said the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was the core of the civil rights movement at the time that Martin Luther King Jr. made the great statements that he did. Nobody said the Nazi party, but that was the ruling party at the time that Adolf Hitler, or that, that he established and really 
it was more than one man, but we think of the man behind the occurrence. Even in today, people are looking to people for positive change. How many times have you heard, man, if you hear people from different countries, we've said this in South Africa, if only our president was a good man, this, the, the country will change. Or in a city, people go, man, if our city councillors were good people, our city would change. You see, people are looking to people for a solution. In fact, the strength of most political campaigns comes down to this. It comes down to a party trying to conform to the needs and the desires and the wants of the majority in order to push their own agenda through. That's what generally political campaigns are all about. But folk, I'm not here to speak politics this morning. I'm talking about how Christ and how what we are called to as Christians is totally different, but yet it's the same. Let me explain. See, as believers, we're given an opportunity to be part of God's amazing purposes and plans. And they are amazing. But the purposes are not based on my needs or my desires or my agenda, but instead, God invites us to be changed and conformed to His heart in order to see His plan, His selfless plan, come into being. That's different. See, everything that people desire of people, it comes down to how does it benefit me? And at the end of the day, God invites us on this incredible journey as believers, as those that are called by His name, those that have given authority in His kingdom, to partner with Him to share something which is so unconditional, it's a scandal. It's the scandal of heaven. It's the love of Christ. With nothing, demanding nothing in return. But I, and I start by pointing the finger here at me today, folk, because many times, unfortunately, Christianity for me, and it can be this if it's out of religion, not relationship, has become a way of me trying to see my needs met, be served, to be a taker, rather than being conformed to his likeness and have his heart, and his heart is one of unconditional selfless love. Giving, not receiving. Now, this is the scandal of heaven, that God's grace is so amazing that he pours out lavishly on us, despite our weaknesses, despite our frailties, despite our selfishness. Aren't you glad that you're sitting in that place today? I am. Because at the center of me is selfishness. I was born that way, and by the grace of God, the Spirit of God is changing me. That's called the process of sanctification. But folk, outside of Jesus, I'm finished. I'm as selfish as they come. I want to declare again today, God loves Nanaimo. When it comes to seeing change come, folk, people might be looking to people to, to see change. But I want to declare something today. God is looking for people. God is looking for people. In this city, this morning, God is looking for people. We see it through the Word and we see it through Scripture, how God has sought out a, a people, a specific type of people. People that will change their neighborhood. People that will change their communities. People that will change their whole entire cities. I love looking at David. And this morning I want to look at David for a little moment. In having a look at how this works and how it impacts our lives. Because we are a people, if we are a people who have God's heart, 
He will use us to change the city. Do you believe that this morning? We are people that have God, God's heart. He will use us, folk, to see the city change. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, it's a well-known passage. We read this, But now your kingdom shall not continue. This was Samuel speaking to Saul. Saul had been in sin. He had, gone, he had been impatient. And Samuel says this, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. I don't know about you, but I'm desperate to discover what it means to have the heart of God. Because if God is seeking out somebody who has his heart, I better know what that looks like. And I think we've made it so complicated. And I'll explain that in a moment. You see, David, this shepherd boy, was a shepherd boy, but he was destined to become a priest king. He was destined. It says that when Samuel came and he found him, he anointed him to be king over Israel. That was his destination. That was his destiny. But he didn't start like that. He started as a shepherd boy, herding sheep. And I want to say this morning, folk, what... Do you know what you are destined to be in Christ? Do I know? See, 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, We are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood, royal speaks of kingship. It speaks of, of a place, a position. You cannot be royal and have no position. If you are royal, you have a certain position. And a priesthood speaks of one that ministers. And David's life was, uh, if you look at David's life, it started out of this place of ministering to the Lord Almighty. And it ends with him being a minister before God and a king before the people. I don't know if you like me, but sometimes I feel that a man after God's own heart must be so difficult to be that. Have you thought that? I look at the frailties in my life and I go, God, you weren't meaning this when you were saying a man after God's own heart. Surely. We, must, uh, we sometimes may think it's unobtainable. In fact, there must be some keys to this because it says God sought a man after his own heart. He just, didn't just look down and pick randomly. He had to search. So what was he searching for? Well, the first thing I want to say, folk, before we do anything else, is the playing field for us is level ground. God has brought us into a relationship with Him, and not one of us in the eyes of God here this morning, not one of you, and myself included, is in God's heart valued any more than the other. If we don't understand that as the basis for understanding this, we miss the heart of God. But in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, the Lord says to Samuel, Go to the house of Jesse, because I've chosen a young man. And what has he chosen him to do? I've chosen one of Jesse's sons to be king. You are chosen this morning, church, to be a royal priesthood. I'm chosen this morning to be a royal priesthood. It's an amazing thought. See, we don't often live out that which Christ declares over us. 
Can I repeat that? We don't often live out that which Christ declares over us. And I'm going to just break the whole thing here and give you the punchline of this whole sermon right now. Because, and there's a reason behind this, folk. But the truth of what does it mean to have God's heart, and this is what's found in David's life. David lived out what God declared over him from the moment he was anointed by Samuel, even before he became king. He lived out what it meant to be a man after God's own heart. And folk, that is what it means to be a man after God's own heart. Do I know what God speaks over me, and do I live it out? Do I live out the promises and the purposes and the lavishness of God over my life that He speaks over me, even before I even experience that? Do I, do I receive that this morning? You see, we can get twisted. We can, we can think that the Bible, and you all go, ha ha, no, Well, for me, there's the Bible on here. But the Bible is this letter of to-dos. It's not. The Bible was never designed to tell us what to do and what not to do. It was designed as a love letter. Imagine if I wrote to Glenn, my wife, went, oh, babes, I love you. You're so amazing. You're so beautiful. Have you washed the dishes? Um, your eyes are, are amazing. You know, when I look into your eyes, I just melt. My heart melts. Uh, by the way, the car needs cleaning. Have you cleaned the car? What kind of love letter would that be, right? But we treat the Word of God like that. We treat when Scripture was written, it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit was the one that was going to do the work. We were there to see evidences of what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives if we understand what it means to be a man and a woman after God's own heart. You see, I want to look at David's life and pick out a couple of evidences, just quickly. Evidences, not to-do list. Folk, and Paul mentioned this. I, I love the fact that, that's, that, that he brought that revelation even before this word was preached. We are not coming this morning to try and say, okay, well, what do I have to do to become a man after God's own heart? Well, the answer's already given, so don't worry about what I'm going to say now. You don't have to do this. To be a man after God's own heart, I have to live in the understanding of how God sees me. That's how I become a man after God's own heart. Then the Spirit of God brings about in my life evidences of that. When we were, I took the boys camping this last weekend on Newcastle Island. We had great fun. And one of the things, first time we've been camping in uh, Canada, actually, but first time we've also been camping on Newcastle, everybody was like, oh, raccoons, raccoons. Make sure you pack your food away, raccoons, raccoons, you know. And so we were definitely on the lookout for raccoons and believed they were nocturnal animals. But even so, you know, there's the box there that you put all your food and close it so that the raccoons can't get it. Well, we, I did that religiously. Seriously, I was not going to have any raccoons stealing anything of mine. But then the one day we decided, I decided to make these things. And for the South Africans here, they'll know what, what it is when I say fed cook, right? I decided to make some fed cook, which is like these little bread things that you, you make. You make this dough and then you fry, deep fry it and makes these amazing fluffy bread things kind of things. So 
I've got this pot and I made this dough and I put the lid on and it's got to rise and I put it on the side of the fireplace and Darren and I, off we went. You know, not thinking, well, my food's locked in the box. It's daytime, middle of the day, all's cool. Well, I came back and I thought, you know, something's missing. And I looked at the fireplace and I didn't see the pot <laughs> on the fireplace. So I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. Go behind the fireplace, and here the pot is lying on its side with this dough like hanging out the pot onto the floor, and this lovely footprint embedded in, <laughs> in the dough. It's like this amazing footprint. And right then I knew I could see the evidence of a raccoon that he had got it. But you know what? The raccoon doing that didn't make him a raccoon. He was already a raccoon, right? That was just evidence that he was there. And the same things, when we look at David's life, I want to look at the evidences. Folk, you don't do these things to become a man after God's own heart. These things are the evidence that you are a man after God's own heart. You already are. I am already are a man after God's own heart. If I understand how God sees me this morning, and folk, that's my heart's desire this morning, is we are called to change the city but we cannot do it unless we see how God sees us. What are some of the evidences that we learn from David that of a man or woman after God's own heart? I'm going to run through these quickly because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to do a quick work in our hearts this morning. A man or woman after God's own heart. And this comes from 1 Samuel 16, verse 15 to 18. It just says this. It's David playing the harp, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. That's spelled L-Y-R-E, in case some of you think you can get away with the white lies. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and he will be with you. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have a son of Jesse, the Bethlehem heart who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Speaking of David, a man or woman after God's own heart, the evidence of that is somebody that recognizes that God has given them gifts and starts to use them if they have not already. You see, folk, your gifting or your talent can get you into places in this city that maybe nobody else can get into. Your gifting can open doors for others to break through. So this is not a to-do list. This is not, okay, well, now if I play my instrument or if I, if I use my gifting, I'm a man after God's own heart. No, the evidence of that should be that, God, when I understand how you see me and how you've made me and how you've created me, Lord, I already am a man after God's own heart. Therefore, that which you have given me, I want to use that for your glory and for your display. It's an evidence of the fact that I get it. It's the evidence of the fact that I get it. I go, God, yes, this is not just given to me so I can go whatever, strum on my guitar. This is given to me so that I can influence the city for the king. Secondly, a man or woman after God's heart doesn't live by the power of positive thinking or positive action, but rather by the power of God. 1 Samuel 16, verse 18, the end of that, he says, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. 
Folk, I believe here, and I just want to say this by the by, what does it mean to be somebody that lives by the power of, power of God? I think we've forgotten what it means to be people of worship and warfare. And that just means I'm not trying to drum up something in the natural. I'm not trying to stamp around my bedroom shouting, Shandara, Shandara, as loud as I can. That's not warfare. The understanding of this is worship exalts the righteous king. And warfare pulls down the ungodly kings and destroys the kingdom of the enemy. So when I walk around the city, there should be something of a passion in my heart to worship the king, to bring glory to his name, to lift him, to exalt him. And that is done in the way I speak, the way I act, the way I greet people, the way I shine for Jesus. It should be natural. I shouldn't have to go into my room and say, okay, now it's 10 to 10 at night and I'm going to do my 10 minutes of worship. Worship is a lifestyle. And warfare should be that as well. I should be walking around in our city proclaiming that which is, not that which is not. What we see in our city so much is the false. It's not that which God intends. So there should be something of my heart that I don't become this religious person and I see a, a person smoking weed or something on the side and I go and go, oh, you know, you're out of God's will. Whatever. You know, that's not what I'm doing. I'm able to love that person unconditionally with the love of Christ and through that reveal the heart of God to that person and see change come. We cannot make religion, we cannot make Christianity into religion, folk. Christianity was never designed to be religion. Religion is something that is forced upon you, something that dictates to you Jesus gave us a free will. He said, I want you to love me with all your heart. Two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Excuse me if I'm passionate. Whew. A man or woman after God's own heart understands that to kill the giant, he or she first has to face and kill the bear and the lion. 1 Samuel 17, 36 to 37, David approaches Saul and says, this uncircumcised Philistine that's coming up against the people, hold on, what? He wasn't king yet, he was still a shepherd. No, he was living as God had already declared over him. He was a man after God's own heart because God had said, you are designed to be a priest, king. You are designed. David's still a shepherd boy. He comes. These people are quaking. He goes, no, no, no. I have authority in Christ because I know God's heart for me, and he has called me a man after his own heart. That's the position I stand in, and this guy cannot shout these things. I will do something about it. But he says to Saul, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Folk, we come to church, and please, I'm not ragging on anybody this morning, but I do believe God has called us to speak the truth, because the truth sets people free. And we can come to church to get a corporate anointing, to get an amazing, the wonderful blessing, and there is such an amazing blessing when we get together, but I promise. In the personal, and then in the corporate. So for me, I have to recognize in my own life, God, you've called me to be a man after your own heart. And as I start to live that out, and each one of us start to live that out, as we come together, we see corporate breakthroughs like we've never seen before.
But we can't come here hoping to receive something from my neighbor. Maybe I should just sit a little bit closer to Mark Manfredi because he's so spiritual. It'll rub off. It's not like that. Out of the wellspring of life, out from this flows life. Each one of us are designed. You are a gushing well this morning if you understand how God sees you. Faith is fueled through the fight. I think that's the second thing that is an evidence. Folks, so often we complain about the fights and the battles that we go through. Oh, God, oh, so bad. Oh, this happened to me, you know, this. And we end up in these defeated places because we haven't realized we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people chosen by God. And that fight is there to fuel our faith. It's there to stir us to new levels of expectation of what God can do by seeing what he does. And instead, sometimes we cower and we go, oh, no, I just wish we didn't have to go through this fight. For God doesn't bring, he doesn't bring hardship and stuff into our lives. And we're going to look at that as another point. But the point is God will use whatever if we allow him to bring glory to his name and to build us up in faith. Fourthly, a man or woman after God's heart inquires of the Lord. You go and do a study sometime on David's life. Life. Every time David asked of God, God answered. Every time. And every time David did what God told him, he got the victory. Every time. It wasn't once that he asked God and God said, do this, and, and it failed. Every time. So we need to ask ourselves. I need to ask myself. God, do I actually see what it, do I see that I am a man after your own heart? Because I sometimes don't get the victory. Now, am I sitting here in sin? Well, it's not a navel gazing exercise here. It's an exercise to say, God, help me to prick up my ears to your spirit. Help me to be attentive to what you say. Help me to see whether this is a faith-fueled fight or whether this is a fight that I need to take just lordship over and to see you come through. But the point of it is, church, when we do what God requires of us, we see breakthrough. It's not a hit or miss. We are not playing this game of darts or Russian roulette. Seriously, I think sometimes we live like that as Christians. Oh, Lord, you know, you're going to come through for me. Lucky. That was lucky. God actually did it. No. That's not the life that God's called us to, folk. There is no Russian roulette here. God is faithful. He will never leave us, never forsake us. His word says his heart is to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. But I can only accept that if I see how God sees me as a man after his own heart. Fifthly, a man or woman after God's heart accepts that God will use circumstances to help them hear and respond to his word. And we touched on this earlier. But after David sinned with Bathsheba, and we don't have time to go and look at that scripture, but God still used that man incredibly and brought him into a closer relationship with God. But God will allow change to our circumstances to bring change to our hearts. Do you believe that this morning? God will allow changes to our circumstances to change our hearts. It's not changing our hearts so that we suddenly do something now, because then we're back to the love letter with the to-do list. 
No, He changes our hearts to again focus our eyes on Him so we can see how He sees us. And when I see the revelation, oh, folks, I tell you, I'm just praying for a greater revelation of this for me. Because if I really see what God sees when He looks at me, and I can't even begin to imagine this in the natural, but folk, when we look and see what God, when, he, when you think of yourself and what God sees of you, I trust that something of the Spirit of God this morning will break in with the revelation of our, how your God sees you this morning. And the passion and the love and the absolute unconditional courageous faith that He has in you and me is unbelievable. Sixth, a man or woman after God's heart serves wholeheartedly, not hard-heartedly. See, this is unfortunately, and I say unfortunately, because that's how the world would deem it. Service to God requires service to man. You can't separate it. I can't be a monk living in a monastery somewhere in the hills and every day waking up and just doing my and whatever, and not affecting anybody around me in any way for Christ and feel like I am doing God's work. Because you see, to serve God, I have to serve man. And there might be times in serving that you feel like you're not appreciated or affirmed enough. Or worse, you might want to turn your heart away from serving. See, David had been threatened by Saul, folk. You read the scripture, he'd been threatened by Saul, and Saul had even attempted to take David's life. But when David had an opportunity to harm Saul, he didn't. And David tells us why. In 1 Samuel 26 verse 23, he says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. So service is therefore not to, has nothing to do with or very little to do with what I do and who I am serving, and it has more to do with my righteousness and my faithfulness. Think about that. I don't hear too many amens to that. But folk, it's the truth. It's not so much what I am doing or who I am serving that is important. It's Do I understand that I have an internal inheritance of righteousness and faithfulness as I pour out my life for what God has asked me to do? Guys, if we get this, if this is an evidence in your life, I tell you what, it sorts out so many struggles. Does he like me? Am I doing enough? They don't appreciate me. Or, yeah, I'll only do it if they do appreciate me. None of those things, God, uh, guys, points to selflessness. And I've been there, so I'm not pointing the finger. It points to selfishness. Selflessness is, this is little to do with that. doesn't matter. That's why Jesus said, even if you give a glass of water to a person, I love that, not just because of the simplicity of the act, but because it, you don't give a glass of water to the king. You give a glass of the water just to the, you know, the the king has the best wine and whatever. Well, if you serve the king, if you serve the big man, then you get a good reward. No. It has little to do with who you serve. It can be a king, can be a lowly beggar, whatever. Nothing to do with that. It's about the righteousness and faithfulness 
that God wants to see. Number seven, a man or woman after God's own heart is prepared for when the battle exhausts them. We don't have time to read this, but you read 2 Samuel 21, verse 15 to 22, and it's an account of war after war. It's crazy. You go through, it says, and then this war happened. Two verses down the line, and then this war happened. And then this war happened. And then to crown it all, there's another war where there's this jolly giant who has six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. The Bible even reinforces it by saying, in other words, 24 in total. <laughs> I love that. It doesn't just say six on the hands and six on the foot. Now, Adam, 24 in total. And he was a big giant. And he comes against the people. War after war. Have you ever felt like that in your life? War after war. It can be exhausting. And I said this, a man or woman after God's his heart is prepared for when the battle exhausts. Notice I said when, not if. Because we all go through stages of the battle exhausting us. How do you prepare for that? Well, I want to say build a team around you. Look around today. There is a team around you, church. We are a team. We are a team. We are called to be those that lift each other's arms up when the battle gets exhausting. Too many of the times we do the religious thing, which comes as, how are you doing, brother? Oh, I'm so good. Everything's fine. Meantime, your world is falling apart because the world teaches us there's no security and there's no trust that you can offer anybody and not get hurt. And I want to say, church, that is not a pattern or a picture of the lifestyle of a believer in Christ who has God's heart. You see Jesus himself, the King of Kings, about to be crucified, and he says to his disciples, guys, I'm in such distress, won't you come up with me and pray with me? What? But he is the king. Surely he should have held it together, you know. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Hey? But we don't draw on the resources that God has to us. And then, and folk, I want to take it one step further, and please hear my heart in this. And I'm sharing this out of love, and I'm not sharing this out of pointing finger. But if you're in need in the life of this local church, please don't harden your heart and go, they don't care about me, because often we may not know about it. People may not know. It's your responsibility to come and say, guys, I need help. It's your responsibility. And as that comes, then it's those that are around you, whether it's elders or deacons or just your friends or whatever, to get around you and be there for you. But the point is, how do we prepare? We build team. We build team. We are not, although we work a, walk a personal walk with Christ, we are corporately invited to go on this journey together, and we need each other. Number eight, a man or woman after God's own heart lives consistently proclaiming God's grace over their life. The end of that passage of 2 Samuel 21, after all these wars, of, after war after war, comes that most amazing song of David, 2 Samuel 22, 22, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer in whom I can trust. When we declare God's grace over our lives, it lifts us out of place of exhaustion. And you see, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look at Love Your City coming up now, on Saturday, I think, oh, wonderful. I'm so glad that we've got an opportunity to love our city. Folk, loving our city should be a lifestyle. 
It's not an event. The fact that we're doing this is just part of loving our city. But we've, we can get to the place where if we're so exhausted in ourselves, we don't draw upon God's grace, we will live for moments, but we cannot live in a lifestyle. And God has called us to live in a lifestyle of pouring out our, our, our love over the city. A lifestyle. Grace, seeing the grace of God, lifts us out of place of exhaustion. It also gives us a heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances. Don't get trapped by earthly circumstances, church. Look to God. It's the reason why Jesus says, fix your eyes. Why the word says, fix your eyes on Jesus. is not so that you can again look and go, oh, he's wonderful. No, it, it does do that. But actually, by lifting my eyes up, I take them off down. And circumstances cannot rule our lives. We will be impotent believers. Lastly, a man or woman after God's own heart makes sure their service establishes spiritual heirs and descendants. Is that evidence in your life? 1 Kings 2, and we don't have time, but 10 to 12, talks about when David was about to die. And after the time of David, says, Solomon came into reigning. And he reigned and sat on the throne of David and he established the kingdom that was already firmly established because of the platform that David had laid. See, David's life and service established the rule of Solomon, who in turn built the temple. And I just want to say, church, sometimes we can want to get involved in things that we see the end of and that's going to validate it for us. But God's kingdom is not like that. If you think like that, you will try and get every person saved on the street and you will drive people away because you feel it's all about you getting them to say the sinner's prayer. It's not. We are called to be part of the journey. There are things in this church which today we are, we are trusting to see established by the grace of God. And you may be yearning for a church that looks totally different. And I want to say, if it's on God's heart, it will take place. But it may not be while you are here. Will you build into it? Or will you go, I'm not going to see it, so fine, it's not me. I'm not, doing, I'm not helping. Serious, church, it's a, it's a hard word. But can you hear the heart behind this? Recognize that there are things that God wants you to be part of, but not necessarily the completer of. So be instruments of preparation. When we ask for people to help in the lives of church, of the church and in the lives of service, whether it's in this church or out into community, be instruments of preparation. Train, equip, encourage, build away from yourselves. These are things that establish the permanency of the things of God in our hearts and in our lives. In conclusion, 1 Kings 2 2 to 4, David charges Solomon. He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. And as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper, that you may prosper in all that you do. And wherever you turn, the Lord may establish his word. Folk, this is an amazing promise. When we get God's heart for us and when we have God's heart, 
we will start to understand that it always is the case that God wants me and you to prosper. But also, He wants His Word and His plans to be established. In this city of Nanaimo, God wants you to prosper. Amen? But He also wants to see His Word and His plans established in this city. That's why He charges us. Be a man after my own heart. Will you answer to this charge? Will you make the adjustments? Not the to-dos. Don't go and write the to-do list. It's the Holy Spirit that does the to-dos. Will you make the adjustment of seeing how God sees you this morning? Who comes to mind? Like I said in that history questions this beginning. Who comes to mind when I say made an impact in a city of Nanaimo by having God's heart? by loving unconditionally, by serving selflessly, by laying down their own agenda in order to see God's heart shared, His purposes established, and His will be to be done in Nanaimo. Who comes to mind? Can you put your name in there? Because that is God's heart for the city. You are here. I am here because God Loves the city church. Unlike history, which looks for extraordinary people to do extraordinary things, God is looking for ordinary people with His heart to allow themselves to be used by God so that He can do extraordinary things. Amen.